We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello all, and welcome to Most Notorious. It's so great to have Thomas E. Stevens with me. He is the principal writer and researcher for Think History, a podcast produced by the Kentucky Humanities Council through WEKU-FM in Richmond, Kentucky. He is the author of Civil War Game Changers, Kentucky and Kentuckians in America's Bloodiest Conflict, True Bluegrass Stories, History from the Heart of Kentucky, and First Cats, Amazing Origins of the UK Sports Tradition. And he is here today to talk about a grudge, a grudge that grew and grew until it turned fatal for one of the parties involved. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. So you have a very special connection to this story. Could you tell us about it? What got you interested in it? Well, my I had a um, a great uncle who was a, a judge in Louisville, Kentucky, and um, he was well connected to the story. Uh, it was about his great uncle, uh, who in the family we called Colonel Dave. Colonel Dave was um, a congressman, a lawyer, an investor. Uh, he was sort of the point man for the English investors who built Middlesbrough, Kentucky which was designed to be a copy of Middlesbrough, England, and to mine coal and send that abroad. So um, they put, I think, Barings Bank of London put $20 million in 1888 dollars uh, into the project and built uh, Middlesbrough, Kentucky, over a little village called Yellow Creek in Bell County. And uh, they also built... Uh, several places uh, just south in Tennessee. And I would uh, listen to him talk about this story and uh, always wondered about it. And when I got into public history in uh, the 1990s, uh, I began researching it. And uh, it took me about three years to put it together. And uh, it it was uh, much more interesting and um, vicious <laughs> and um, tragic than than I ever knew. Right. And this was published as an article, right? Yeah. 
It was. It appeared in the Register of the Kentucky Historical Society in 2000. It was called Con- Congressman David Grant Colson and the Tragedy of the 4th Kentucky Volunteer Infantry. So the United States has quite a history of dueling, the Hamilton-Burr duel being the most famous of them. And while they lost popularity towards the end of the, the 19th century, people were still dueling, especially in the South, where a gentleman's honor remained important to some. That's true because one of the principals did not have honor because he he ambushed his, his former colonel who had uh, arraigned him in court uh, during his court-martial for uh, insubordination and a variety of other charges. Yeah, I, I definitely want to ask you about that, the origin of the feud. But if you don't mind, let's talk first about David Grant Colson, his background, his political career, and how he came to become a colonel during the Spanish-American War. Uh, well, Colson was 38 years old. He was an attorney. He was the point man for his family's land sales to uh, English investors who built the city of Middlesboro in the 1890s. So a lot of money poured into the family. They retained uh, one city block of Middlesboro and they they made money that way, uh, but also I, I assume investing their mo- the money that they had gotten from, uh, from Baring's Bank in London. Uh, he was an attorney, a real estate investor, a coal operator. Uh, he was uh, a Middlesboro mayor and um, considered to be the youthful, the leader of the youthful wing of his Republican Party in Kentucky, which was in its infancy as a, uh, in an effort to compete with Democrats. Um, Kentucky had just elected its first Republican governor in William O. Bradley, and um, it was thought that Colson would succeed Bradley as governor. Right. And, and as far as his role in the yes. war? So um, it was said that the nation whooped to war uh, in the summer of 1898, um, spring and summer, to free the native population of Cuba from Spain. Uh, And it was widely reported that the population was virtually behind uh, barbed wire. And um, people like Theodore Roosevelt and many others, a man named uh, former Confederate officer named uh, Joe Wheeler from Alabama was also in Congress. And um, when Roosevelt left his position in Washington to um, be the colonel of the Rough Riders, a kind of a wave of, um, of martial spirit ran through Congress and Colson got swept up in it, as did Wheeler. Wheeler ended up being um, Roosevelt's commanding officer in Cuba and later Colson's in Alabama. So Colson left his seat in Congress to, um, to try to get a regiment, which he eventually did with the 4th Kentucky Volunteer Infantry in the summer of 1898. So how did he help put this regiment together? How did he choose his officers? And how did this man named Ethelbert Scott <laughs> <laughs> manage to secure a position under him? So if you, if you were to try to find a fatal flaw in this process, it, it was that politics entered the consideration for, for people. There, there were um, members of the 4th Kentucky from all over the country and even uh, a man from Switzerland. But it was mainly 
the counties in which Colson represented as a congressman, many attorneys, um, the newspapers were anxious to come up with a Rough Rider type moniker for the for the fourth, and they came up with Mountain Men. And I argued that it could also be called the Fighting Attorneys because of the sheer number. Uh, I believe uh, 13 captains were attorneys, many lieutenants, many on the command staff, sons of Louisville's mayor, Kentucky's adjutant general, and three nephews of the governor, William Bradley. And one of them, Lieutenant, second lieutenant, Edwin Porch Morrow, was a future governor of Kentucky. Uh, another of Bradley's nephews was Ethelbert Dudley Scott, who was a uh, 29 years old. He was an attorney. Um, he was on the outs with the governor, and the governor, who had the power to appoint officers, uh, advised Colson not to appoint Scott. But because Scott had helped him in his congressional race in 1892, Colson said, I'm going to appoint him anyway. I want him appointed. And he became a lieutenant in the regiment. Uh, he was very friendly. They were they were considered to be chummy, as as the newspaper said, uh, in the first several weeks of uh, of organization in Lexington. Uh, but before he left Lexington, Scott was already disobeying orders and uh, uh, being absent without leave and going into uh, Lexington's um, watering holes. Let's say, yeah, Colson was was not happy with Scott. Scott didn't march with, with his men more than once or twice. According to his captain, yes, that's true. And he was drinking a lot, too. Right. And, and you know, let's face it, you know, young men and, and this was considered to be an adventure. And, uh, uh, you know, there was a lot of alcohol involved in these, these antics. I think Colson was very proud of the regiment. Uh, he felt that they were equal to the Rough Riders. Uh, he didn't think that anybody could outshoot them, for example. He said, there's not in one, one in 50, but them who knows how to handle a gun and handle it to effect. And um, he said, they don't know the manual of arms, but they will soon learn it and it will not affect their shooting. Um, Kentuckians had that reputation, and uh, I think they tried to live up to that. So how did the tensions begin between the two? How, how did the trouble start? It doesn't, it doesn't start with Colson. Um, the uh, regiment mustered in in July. It left, and, and this is one of the problems. Um, the 4th probably should never have mustered because uh, the Rough Riders had, had already done their thing in Cuba, uh, captured the San Juan Heights on July 1st. And by the time the 4th got to Alabama, outside of uh, Camp Ship, which is outside of Anniston, Alabama, uh, the peace treaty had already been signed between the United States and Spain. So the best that the 4th could hope for, or Colson could hope for, was garrison duty in Puerto Rico or Cuba. But Scott was already refusing to perform his duties by the time they got to Atlanta, uh, to Alabama. And... Um, the first time he got in trouble was with the commanding general uh, who directed him to show up to board of survey meetings, which was his duty. And they wanted to show cause why he failed to do so. So I believe that he was put up on charges of conduct unbecoming an officer after he, he beat a fellow officer, an Alabama officer 
in um, Anniston, and uh, he was acquitted uh, for being absent without leave. So he he scraped by uh, in the first problem with military justice. Right. So Scott sits outside of Coulson's tent, and yeah. he mocks him within hearing distance. Yeah, he... The, the, the quote is, uh, he would lounge in front of the colonel's tent telling funny stories and cracking jokes at his expense. Right. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, what, a few days later, he's being treated for gonorrhea. Uh, he's court-martialed in, Defe- in December, and fellow um, nephews of the governor uh, testified against him. And uh, Coulson uh, had his life threatened by Scott over those proceedings. Uh, he was convicted, and according to the War Department telegram that was received at the 4th, he was discharged. So it seems like an, uh, an end to the problem. But of, of course it's not, right? So Scott goes to Washington, makes it his mission to badmouth Colson every chance he gets, and he knows that Colson, more than anything, wants to take his regiment into battle. So he does everything in his power to get the 4th Kentucky mustered out. Right. And he, he wanted to, uh, Colson wanted that, that glory that Roosevelt was getting. And I'm sure there was a political motivation, as there was for Roosevelt. And Scott knew that he could take that away from him. But he knew people in the War Department. And uh, he was able to get everything countermanded. He was able to get the 4th put on the muster out list. And he was able to come back to Anniston being reinstated. So Colson kind of knew what he was up against. He went, took his own trip to Washington to try to help his cause. And um, he stopped off in Middlesboro on his way uh, to prepare his affairs, telling people that he wasn't sure that he would come back alive. So there are two camps, basically, that start forming. Yes. And so we, we have players on both sides. We have Colson and many of the officers. And then we have a company commander whose name was Benjamin B. Golden, his lieutenant, R.L. Blakeman, uh, and Scott, who were trying to get as many of the privates uh, who were foremustering out on their side as possible. And they, they succeeded. As a matter of fact, Col- uh, Scott uh, had a thousand buttons with his likeness uh, made, and then he handed them out to the men, and they were beginning to put them on their uniforms by the time Colson returned uh, to Anniston. And accusations are flying. Colson and his camp claim Scott is fraternizing with enlisted men, that he's associating with men of low character, right? Yeah, the, the, there were counter charges and countercharges in the newspapers and the, and and that just made it more in line with the old time feud situation where if my if my honor is is um questioned then I'm going to defend it and uh it just it just got worse and worse you know fueled I I believe by uh alcohol even after he came back for duty in Aniston he he feigned an illness stayed in a hotel there and uh, he was quoted as saying, "Colson has the cards stacked now, but if we ever get back to Kentucky, I intend to kill him." So the mustering out 
proceeds, men begin boarding trains. And it's important to note that the uh, the officers refused to um, uh, to ride home with the men on uh, uh, on the uh, rail cars because so many of them had been threatened if if they took off their uniform, the men were going to get them. There's a lot more men than there are officers in a regiment, and so uh, they stayed behind to be mustered out after the men were. So the men were on their way back to Kentucky by the time the officers were being mustered out in downtown Anniston. And um, it was a complete breakdown in discipline. Of course, the men were by themselves in this train. Uh, They shot up the train. They shot at people along the way. They shot at cows. They shot at other men on other freight trains. Uh, I believe uh, one of the quotes is, uh, uh, all along the road, men fired at freight trains and their crews. Nobody seemed to try to make the rascals behave themselves. So that was going on, and at the same time, it was already being covered in uh, in the nation's newspapers. And, um, the day of the officer muster out, February 11th, 1899, the Atlanta Constitution's um, headline was, Regiment will be mustered out today, and the angry gentlemen may meet and fight. And then Cincinnati, uh, the Cincinnati Enquirer said, both men known to be absolutely fearless, and shooting was expected on sight. Goodness, <laughs> that, that, that ratchets up the tension even more, right? right? And Colson entered what was called Percy Olmsted's Mammoth Restaurant that evening with a former major and former lieutenant in tow. And um, uh, before he had sat down, he had been insulted by Blakeman, who was on that Scott side. And Colson called him a damned scoundrel and uh, apparently pulled his ear, uh, lifting him from the chair. And Scott pulled out a thirty-eight revolver at a distance of five feet and shot Colson in the hip. As soon as that happened, as Colson was struggling to get up, uh, he was beaten unconscious by members of the provost guard. And it takes a while for help to come, right? Uh, yeah, the Aniston police refused to respond. No one was arrested. Um, Colson was taken upstairs, uh, had the bullet taken out of his hip and, um, Colson's friends believed it to be a, um, an, you know, an ambush, which included the provost guard and what they, and their part in it. Uh, Colson had family members, you know, getting on a train, trying to get to Aniston as soon as they could. And, um, trying to help him survive this. And uh, when Colson had the opportunity to press charges, he, he refused. And that is another old-time honor situation where you're not going to give someone the satisfaction of complaining to anybody about a man's actions. You're just going to hold him to account yourself. Right. The injury was serious enough that it slowed him down. And there was even some temporary partial paralysis. Yes, and uh, he he went home. He he uh, had a convalescence. Uh, he tried to get back uh, into the law. Uh, he was a special judge in a murder case, as was Golden um, in the same county at the same time. Golden, incidentally, was elected um, Bell County um, Commonwealth's attorney, which is the uh, a county prosecutor. So he was 
he was uh, the arbiter of the law in Bell County uh, at the time when, uh, right after this was going on. And uh, Colson stayed away from the nominating process for governor that summer. And um, many people believe that uh, he would have been nominated for governor uh, had he not stayed away. We will be back after these brief messages. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And we have returned. So here comes this uh, uncomfortable period. (laughs) (laughs) And and by the way, um, Colson hadn't run for re-election. Well, uh, he was actually removed. Uh, Yeah, he chose not to to run again, but he had already relinquished his seat. Um, Congress declared um, the seats open for the several congressmen who had left. And uh, so they had uh, special elections to fill those seats. So Colson was already out. There was a, a, another sitting congressman in his spot. And so he declined. He, he was just going to, um, I assume, run for something else at some point. But people thought that, that it would be governor. Uh, but uh, he didn't want to be in the same place where, where Scott was during this period. Right. And that's the difficult thing, correct? They're both active in the in the Republican Party. Yes. They work with the same people, attend the same party functions. Do they try and avoid each other? How does that go? Well, Colson was advised to just go about his business. If he ran into him, he did. If he, you know, so be it. So things had uh, had not changed. Uh, and, and I think both men knew that by January, 1900. And there's a little background to this. The, the man who was elected governor, William S. Taylor, the Republican from Butler County, he was sworn in and had already been, uh, serving for a month by the time the Democrats under, uh, William Goebel, uh, contested the election. And, um, the politicians of Kentucky were in, in the capital of Frankfurt. Uh, in a place called the Capitol Hotel, 
um, because hearings were being held upstairs to determine if a change was going to be made or Taylor was going to retain his his uh, office. Um, that's why the politicians were there. And that's why Colson and Scott were, were both in the lobby at that time. William Jennings Bryan was scheduled to speak as well. So it was a big deal. Yeah. And it was very unfortunate because there were, they, they say there were hundreds of people in, in this large lobby and people were there because Brian was going to, William Jennings Bryan was going to speak there that night. Uh, so the, uh, the dining room was full. The politicians were filling the lobby, and there was a lot of people milling around. And so, not a very good place for a shootout. Right. <laughs> so, it's a very tense scene. And there's loud conversation, cigar smoke, bell hops, dashing around, lots of activity, waiters coming and going, bringing drinks and food. And both Coulson and Scott are aware by this point that the other is in the hotel. So then it it becomes a bit of a dance, right? Golden is there with Scott. Coulson has his own friends, men that he's discussing politics and business with. And it's almost like a, a matter of time, right? Before they meet. I think so. Uh, and Although, uh, according to one of the bystanders, Colson was surprised to see uh, Scott, kind of horrified as he looked up, and um, Scott was advancing on him and, and, and reaching into his coat uh, for what turned out to be a thirty-eight revolver, and he knew that this thing was about to happen. Uh, at the same time, he saw Golden coming at him from a different angle. And so, you know, another ambush, and um, he had uh, armed himself with two guns, and uh, the first one was a forty-four target pistol, which he pulled out, and uh, and the shooting began. Colson had gotten that second gun, right, just a couple of days before. Yes, he he tried to prepare himself, and and he borrowed the uh, the target pistol from uh, from a friend in. Uh, in Middlesbrough before he left uh, for Frankfurt. So they are aware of each other's presence, but in the minutes before they lock eyes, Scott and Golden, correct, step outside for some air or something, and someone overhears them talking about Coulson. Yeah, he says, whatever you do, don't let him get the drop on you. And Scott's reply was, he never has and he never will. So Scott is very obviously gunning for a fight. It wasn't enough to get Coulson once. He wants to do it again. But but to do it in a crowded lobby, why there? Was Scott just so red hot that he was oblivious to the innocent bystanders around them? I, uh, I know he was drinking that morning um, in the, the hotel. So once again, you know, alcohol... <laughs> uh, comes into play in, uh, in his judgment. Yeah. So they're coming at Coulson. This time Coulson is ready. Yeah. And he shoots. Can you walk through this for us step by step? Yeah. Um, so they shot, they shot each other in that initial 
double blast, I guess you would say. Colson was hit uh, in uh, the elbow, the, the left arm. Um, he shot back, and, um, and then two more shots ran out. Um, Golden um, did not participate. He, he got behind Scott, and then the, you know, the immense crowd in this lobby was just trying to, to get out. Uh, people were screaming. Uh, men were trying to come out the front doors, down the stairs. There was a basement, uh, and then there was a stairway, a marble stairway going down to the basement. Uh, there was also uh, doors into the dining room and the dining room corridor. Um, people dropped to the tiled floor. They tried to slither away. Women fainted. Waiters dropped their trays of dishes. It was pandemonium uh, as this was going on. So one of the men who had been with Colson, named Luther Demery, I think. Yes, that's correct. He was from Shelbyville. He, he gets pulled into the showdown by Scott. Right. Uh, Colson uh, went behind a marble column. And, and these, these men um, knew what they were doing. They were experienced at this sort of thing, and they never stopped moving. They, they kind of slid to the left, I think. And as you said, it was almost like a dance. Uh, by this time, Scott was almost in Colson's original place. Uh, you know, the two men had, had virtually traded places. And Scott grabbed Demery. Uh, and while, you know, th- this shooting has produced an immense amount of uh, gunpowder haze, um, he was using him as a shield and shooting from behind him. Colson fired, and he hit Demery in the chest and also Scott. Uh, and Scott uh, went backward, and Demery kind of slid down his body to the floor. And then Scott found, finds himself in the corner of the lobby, and uh, it was kind of a like a two-second break. They, they stared at each other, and Colson put down the, his spent forty-four and took up his 38 Smith and Wesson and Scott knew he was outgunned and tried to get get away but he didn't no he didn't um a reporter said he, uh with a wild scared look on his face he began trying to make it to the basement steps he fired his last shot over his shoulder and uh here's where you get to legality uh, this, this shootout was over. Scott had, had fired his last shot. I'm not sure Colson knew that, but Colson took deliberate aim, shot him, Scott in the back of the head and pitched his body down the stairs. He reloaded, left the hotel, walked a half block, uh, to the home of Frankfurt police chief Mason Williams and surrendered. Someone else was killed too, right? There were yes. two. Yes. Um, so Charles Julian uh, is an interesting case. He and a friend, a neighbor, wanted to see William Jennings Bryan. And um, his neighbor talked Julian into going with him. And they went to the hotel to buy tickets to see Bryan that evening. And Julian was in the uh, lobby when the shooting started and uh, was shot in the calf, which was not thought to be a serious wound. Um, the, uh, management was anxious to get the people who were shot out of the lobby 
and took him to a room and doctors didn't know he was there and he bled to death before uh, he could be uh, saved. And his friends believed that he was shot by Scott and not Colson. Um, Golden was shot in the, he got a shot in the back and he sat on the floor next to former Governor McCreary waiting for a doctor. Uh, there was also um, interesting story. A man named O.D. Redpath was a traveling salesman from Chicago. And um, when the shooting started, he tried to jump over the balustrade of the uh, stairway. He tried to jump a half flight of stairs and broke his leg. So he was at the bottom of the landing when Scott Scott's dead body landed on top of him. And his quote was, I had this, and and once again, Kentucky's reputation. Uh, I had disobeyed my wife's injunction in coming here. I had not been here three minutes till I was shot at, had a dead man fall on me and broke my leg. I want to go home. (laughs) I would have thought the same thing. (laughs) Uh, So Luther Demery, the friend of Colson's who Scott used as a shield, and Colson shot. What happened to him? Well, he died. Uh, The coroner's report said that he was shot three times in the chest, all within about the size of a silver dollar. Uh, And Colson, uh, at some point, I don't know if it was in the trial or in the newspapers, said that he was trying to shoot around him through the the haze. And it, it really is difficult for us to understand today just what this black powder haze was was like you know it was it was like a fog uh and it was difficult to see and uh i I believe that colson could see you know an outline of what where he was shooting but i'm not sure he was aware that demery um where he was at any given moment and demery's brother arrives right not long after yeah his his brother i mean within Within a few minutes, he found uh, a group of men in a circle standing over his body, and and he said, "Oh, Luther, speak to me." And uh, he said, "This has got to be a mistake. He never harmed anyone in his life." And so, he, you know, he didn't understand exactly what had happened, and didn't know until later that he was an innocent bystander. So, what happens to Colson after he turns? himself in uh well he's now got a shattered uh left elbow and and arm he remains in the police chief's um home where um doctors are working on it one of his former men was jl mccoy who had been in the hatfield and mccoy uh which began when he was 12 uh and his quote to mccoy was He ought to have been satisfied with what he had already done. I do not see why he didn't leave me alone. Um, He was taken to um, jail at at Frankfurt, and um, he awaited whatever was going to happen. Uh, He was visited by the soon-to-be new governor, William Goebel, the Democrat, uh, and Colson and and Goebel were friends, despite party differences and... um, uh, they say that he received um, 
about 50 telegrams and letters a day of people offering their help. Um, congressmen who were attorneys who offered to defend him for, for nothing. But there was a backlash as well. And uh, local newspapers and national newspapers taking cues from the local newspapers were commenting on Kentucky's reputation as, as a wild place. And, um, politicians settling their differences, uh, you know, with guns. So that criticism was there And a Louisville evening post editorial, uh, tried to defend Colson. And, uh, it, one of the quotes is, uh, Scott and Colson were enemies. Each should have known that the law would protect him against the other. But as a matter of fact, each knew that the law would not protect him. The law at least administered in our state. Kentucky has made each man his own guardian. Hmm. Uh, there's an interesting sidelight here. Um, there was a reporter that came to the scene. He was not there when it happened, and he ran around trying to get quotes, which he sent off to uh, New York newspapers. And um, he became something of a celebrity because of this and uh, and built a career on it. He was uh, a writer in New York, uh, a noted humorist. Uh, his name was Irvin S. Cobb. He was even in the movies in the 1930s. So this was really uh, his entree into uh, into journalism and beyond. Interesting. So there is a trial, right? Yes. Um, there was a trial uh, that April. It was attended um, by lots of people. Uh, Major Sam Morrow, who had been in the 4th, who was um, one of the governor's nephews. He testified in favor of Colson, uh, and he was acquitted in 18 minutes. Wow. <laughs> Goodness. So he goes home to Middlesboro, uh, and I I think every everybody wanted him to be better, but he just wasn't. They say he was never the same. He married a woman he, he met in Lexington um, during the mustering in. Her name was Ethel Elliott from Texas and Tennessee. He moved uh, to a, a large home in Middlesboro. Uh, he tried to practice law. Uh, he never was able to use the left arm very well. Uh, his eyesight was failing, and he suffered mental anguish. He said that every time he closed his eyes, he could see uh, the hatred in Scott's uh, eyes. Um he thought he was uh, that the situation was not over. That Scott's friends or relatives would try to avenge him. Um, they say he grew thoughtful and eccentric. Uh, and then in September 1904, uh, he was riding a horse, and the horse got frightened. And Colson was so upset that he shot the horse and tried to get into his house, and he fell at the foot of the stairs. And he died the next morning of nervous prostration. And uh, he died at 43. Wow. Were there any uh, long-term repercussions in, in Kentucky politics-wise? I think people just shook their heads and, and moved on. This was big news around the state, of course. Uh, the local newspaper had... Uh, had three black framed columns uh, showing mourning. 
the headline was called Colson a native oak storm wrecked. In that same newspaper was uh, the Republican paper's choice for president, which is Theodore Roosevelt, uh, who had boosted his political career leading the Rough Riders in Cuba during the war. Uh, and of course, one of the most interesting presidents of the United States. Uh, both of these men tried to further their political careers and one succeeded spectacularly and the other didn't. And he, of course, is still remembered by your family. Yes. Uh, as I said, uh, there were family stories about him uh, all the time that I was growing up. And, and uh, my great uncle, uh, whose name was William Gillis Colson, uh, who was named for Colson's brother, William Gillis Colson, he was he knew a lot about about it and he had talked to people you know who knew firsthand uh and very interesting man to talk to and um really motivated me to uh, to tell the story myself the hotel where all of this happened does it still exist uh no it's um it burned uh several years after the event there is a a small building, a small portion of the building was salvaged. And so it, it today is called the Capital City Museum next door to the old, what's called the old train station. And so a portion of the building does exist, but it's, it's very small compared to what the Capitol Hotel was. Another Capitol Hotel rose from those ashes and, uh, I think today uh, it is used as a bank. Uh, some of the artifacts uh, that belong to Colson and, and the Colson family of Middlesbrough uh, are in the Capital City Museum. Oh, interesting. I did find that um, there's a, a copy uh, of sorts of the, uh, of the old Capitol Hotel uh, that's still standing in Cleveland. And uh, I've always wanted to go see that and walk around that lobby to kind of get a feel for what uh, the Capitol Hotel lobby was in January of 1900. Oh, cool. So as we've already established, this story you've told today is not from a book you've written, uh, but instead an article. But you are, of course, an author. So can you tell us a bit about some of the books you've written? Well, I, I want to tell Kentucky's stories. Uh, that's that's kind of been my focus. I wrote a book about University of Kentucky sports in uh, the early 2000s. Uh, it's called First Cats, and the idea is that the the firsts in the program. It's still the winningest basketball program in the in the nation, and there's a lot of interest um, in the people and places and events in the program. So I wrote that. Um, as, as kind of a test, really, to, to kind of see about the process of writing books. Uh, the second one I did is called True Bluegrass Stories. It's also available on Amazon. Uh, it's about the bluegrass region of Kentucky, which is the counties around Lexington. Lots of stories, uh, interesting people and places. Uh, and in 2019, I wrote um, Civil War Game Changers, uh, which is about Kentucky and Kentuckians in the Civil War. And uh, it was astounding to me how many people 
Kentuckians helped Abraham Lincoln uh, during the Civil War in one way or another. Um, and uh, lots of interesting stories there. And uh, that, that was really um, a lot of fun to do. And uh, I enjoyed learning you know, more about it. it it's uh, really a, a story that uh, has so far been untold. And uh, I enjoyed telling it. Well, cool. So great to have you on. Thank you for your time. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Again, my guest has been Thomas E. Stevens. He has written numerous books about Kentucky history. This has been another episode of the Most Notorious Podcast, broadcasting to every dark and cobwebbed corner of the world. I'm Eric Rivenis, and have a safe tomorrow. The Civil War and Reconstruction was a pivotal era in American history. When a war was fought to save the Union and to free the slaves. And when the work to rebuild the nation after that war was over turned into a struggle to guarantee liberty and justice for all Americans. I'm Tracy. And I'm Rich. And we want to invite you to join us as we take an in-depth look at this pivotal era in American history. Look for the Civil War and Reconstruction wherever you find your podcasts. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts.